as, as Lorenzo mentioned earlier, happy Mother's Day. Excited to gather with y'all uh, this morning as we kind of reach a, um, a hinge, a pivot point in our series called More, specifically part one, uh, Waiting on the Holy Spirit. So up to this point in our series, we have been looking at the Holy Spirit as the empowering personal presence of God at work within I work within the world. And so we've been um, building up a hunger and desire within our community for more, a greater experience of the Holy Spirit in the life of our community and in the lives of us. We've been talking about what Ephesians uh, chapter three calls being filled with the fullness of God, being filled with the Spirit of God. What uh, Psalm 103 talked about as a renewal as that youth, like, you know, an eagle, you know, youth is renewed. Like this renewal that happens within us as we are filled with the fullness of God. What uh, Psalm 84, last week, we looked at what Psalm 84 calls living perpetually in the presence of, of God. All of these are ways of talking about life in and with and through the Holy Spirit. And so, like I said, this week we're kind of moving, we're hitting on a hitch point, getting into what um, originally the whole intent of the series was going to be about, was about how the Spirit works through the church. And so if you'll remember, you know, we got a week into it and we realized, you know what, we need to spend some time. We added three weeks into the series just on that idea of experiencing the personal presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And so this week we're coming back to the, the original intent, which is what does the Spirit do through the church? How does the Spirit work in the life of the church? So we were with, uh, a way we could be saying it is, we were looking at how we be with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Uh, this week and moving forward for the next few weeks in part, you know, the part A of part one is um, how, what, what does the Holy Spirit do through the church? How do we, be, how do, we do the stuff Jesus do, did through the work of the Holy Spirit? And so part two is going to come later on in the summer and the fall where we're going to look at walking by the Holy Spirit, which is going to be about how we become like Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. So if we were looking at how we be with Jesus through God's personal presence in the Holy Spirit, and now we're going to be looking at how do we do the stuff that Jesus did coming up later is uh, we're going to be looking at how do we become like Jesus, our character, the kind of people that we are shaped through the work of the Holy Spirit. So today... Is, a, uh, is an overview, an introduction into the stuff the Spirit does. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. If you want to turn or tap your way there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be today, looking at uh, what really is, if there's any place to pull from in, in Scripture, kind of Paul's introduction and overview of the stuff the Spirit does. So that is where we're going to be today. I'm going to invite you, once you've found your place there, uh, to join me in standing for the reading of the scriptures. Uh, In the same way that we uh, raise our hands in worship, or um, like Lorenzo led us, having our hands open in a posture of receiving, or even as we were praying for April, some of you were, were extending your hands. As we stand to read from the scriptures, this is just a way of with our bodies, standing in light of what we believe this to be. Uh, more than just any other book, this is how the Spirit of God writes and speaks to us through the writings of Paul and other books of the Bible, but in particular, Corinthians is uh, the letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. So that being said, Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. 
You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed. And no one could say, Jesus is the Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. Yes, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that today you would help us step by the power of your Spirit deeper, further, more into what it means. Jesus, for collective church to be an expression of the body of Jesus on the west side of Los Angeles. Would you begin to, like Paul prays, not be unaware, but to be informed, and as we're going to end, earnestly desire these things. And you we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated, y'all. So to jump back right at the beginning of verse one, Paul opens by saying, now concerning these spiritual gifts, more than a moment, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to not know what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. Now for the church in Corinth, they had a particular unawareness, a particular ignorance and confusion around this. You'll see in verse two, Paul details this for us. He says, you know, the church in Corinth, that you guys, when you used to be pagans, that is not followers of Jesus, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. There were other gods that were enticing, influencing, leading and governing your lives. And so he says, now coming out of into the work of the church, into the life of Jesus, how do I know, how do I, what do I make sense of all of those spiritual experiences that I had with my old pagan religion and now what do I do with all of this stuff that I'm coming over here and experiencing and seeing within the church? And so in verse three, Paul simply just says, here, here's one of the main governing, determining factors between whether or not you know the work that you've experienced, these, these spiritual experiences are of, of God, of Jesus, is, is just simply, is it a, it, does it at the end of the day proclaim Jesus as Lord? There's a whole bunch of really interesting historical stuff about that Jesus be cursed kind of language here. But just notice the main thing out of this is Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. And the unawareness that the church in Corinth is particularly dealing with is we're coming out of all of these spiritual experiences from kind of our pagan magic religions and stuff. And now we're going, what do we do with stepping into this Christian community where there's all sorts of other spiritual experiences? What kind of ones are from Jesus and what kinds are ones? I don't want you to be unaware about this stuff. That just because you experience something over here doesn't mean that there's not any kind of spiritual experiences in the way of Jesus. It means they take a particular form. And what he shows in verse 3 is a particular direction. They're focused on Jesus' lordship, that Jesus is king. 
Now for us, we have very different particular confusions and unawareness. Like that's not very many of us in, uh, in Los Angeles, our confusion. You see, for some of us, our unawareness regarding these spiritual gifts, as it's translated here, for some of us is we come from a particular tradition that was um, abusive of these things called the spiritual gifts or manipulative with them. We saw all kinds of weird things, people um, um, withholding medicine, praying for healing. And so now we talk about healing, that, that comes up. Or we hear about these, this gift of tongues or languages and whatever that is. And people that would just kind of, you know, teach you how to do, is that how that works? Is this, this other languages is something that can just be taught? Like, is that what's going on? Or prophetic, people saying, God told me as a way of manipulating either in a position like mine as a leader or even just in the community. Like every, every girl went to you know, church camp and some boy came up and like God told me we're gonna get married, right? And now we talk about prophecy and, and most in particular girls like, no, no, thank you. Like, I don't need anyone saying God told me anything, right? So for some of us, our confusion around the spiritual gifts is actually kind of an avoidance because we've seen how they've been misused. And so it's much easier just to kind of step over here and be unaware or uninformed than because we just saw the misuse. For some of us, though, we come out of a tradition which we, you know, do this post-enlightened secular thought kind of brainwashing that we've separated anything that isn't purely cognitive. I can think it all through and understand it with X plus, you know, whatever makes sense to me, math, as therefore being something that we don't even enter into. Because it's not my experience we do, it ends up with the same thing. I distance myself from it. Not because I've seen its misuse, but because I've never seen it used at all. And my understanding of the way the world works is that kind of stuff doesn't happen, right? And then the third confusion is just for those of us that are like, no, I, I, maybe I have seen it misused, but I, I still want it. Or maybe I, I haven't seen it, um, I have seen it used, but I still, but I just don't know what, how does it work? How does this spiritual stuff work within the church? How do I, do I find it? Do I discover it? Is it some kind of retreat that I have to go on and like sit inside a sweat lodge for 42 days and I come out with the power of healing? How, how do I get this? And, and how do I find it? We have all sorts of confusion, right? Now, some of the confusion, to go back to verse one, starts and begins in just that word, those two words there. You've heard me keep quoting it or saying as it's translated, spiritual gifts, now, just about every scholar, every commentary that you read is going to argue that spiritual gifts is just not a helpful or good translation. But a lot of translation committees, the ones that are like actually trying to get this so that people can read the Bible, they're like, we don't know what works better. So the reason why is the word behind this, these two words, is actually just one word. It's poo, there's a little P at the front, pneumaticos. Would you just say pneumaticos is a little bit easier because who you know you can do the p at the front pneumaticos it's just it's it's the word it's an adjective that doesn't have a noun in the sentence the word for gifts doesn't show up in in these words it never gets paired with that word pneumaticos and so pneumaticos is an adjective that Paul uses regularly to um, to define or modify it does what an adjective does certain things to talk about it in a particular way so Paul in 1 Corinthians fifteen when he talks about our resurrection bodies. He talks about them as being spiritual bodies. Not what that means is that they're going to be immaterial, like spirit things, but spiritual in the sense of being filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Still material, but now a, a new power that's at work within it. This even shows up in pneumaticos. Think about the English word pneumatic. How many of you know pneumatic tubes, the cool things at the bank, 
right? That used to, before we were all just on our phones. You put the thing in there and boom, right? It goes up. Or you, a jackhammer is, is pneumatic piston, right? Air, what's it doing is air. Pneuma is air or wind. It's also linked to the word for spirit. So it's a thing that is powered by the spirit. So what we go here is Paul just goes, now concerning spiritual, what, Paul? Things? Give, he doesn't give us the noun. So this is where the translators go, well, the word gifts gets used later, so let's bring it up here and just put it in here because that, that is helpful, right? But that's not what he's, what he's getting after. What he's getting at is now concerning the things that are empowered by the Spirit. Uh, and the way that Gary Bashir's uh, translate this is now concerning the stuff of the Spirit, the stuff the Spirit does. And so what's helpful about this is... Um, is because some of us come to a framework that we read spiritual gifts, and depending on your tradition, but a majority of us that have been raised in kind of American evangelicalism, what we receive spiritual gifts as being is we take 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, maybe a couple other passages in Peter, and we um, get together this giant exhaustive list of 20 to 22 spiritual gifts. And we're told that you, either at conversion or some other time, baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever that might be, or just later, that you have one to three of these spiritual gifts. You, at least one, probably not more than three, unless you're like, you know, Lorenzo or something, super spiritual and you got a bunch of stuff going on. But everybody's got at least one to three. And so you got to figure out what your one to three are. And so then what you do is it's like a BuzzFeed test online is you go and you sit down and it just asks you questions about like, what are you interested in? And so it's kind of like a Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, working genius kind of a thing where you take the test and then it goes, oh, you got prophecy and teaching. And you're like, yes, right? What did you get? I got tongues and acts of miraculous power. And it's like, what did you get? And he's like, I got giving. <laughs> it's like, oh, you, oh, okay, cool, man. Well, we still need you, like, totally, right? But it's just like, well, what do I, right? So just a, a quick little history here on, like, where did this reading come from? It's actually about 50 years old. 50 years, now, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means when something's that new to a book that's been read over 2,000 years plus, we, we should go, if you are just now finding this, maybe, you might, let's read this with some humility. So about 50 years um, a lot of historians would argue that the kind of father of this way of reading and the spiritual gifts inventory test and all that was a professor by the name of Dr. Grant Howard. And he was a professor at Western Conservative Baptist Seminary in Portland, Oregon, which would go on to be Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, which is where I went to school. And so there they developed a curriculum all around, you taking a test, finding your spiritual gifts, and then how to basically utilize that in your church. It went for about 10 years before they ended up pulling it. I've been on the campus where they have the space where they had these giant old computers back in the 80s where you would do like a punch card system based off answers that they would feed in. And then the giant computer would come out and it's like, oh, cool, I got Tongues and, you know, fill in the, you know, at word, words of wisdom or whatever, right? Those are, the, those are your gifts that you've got here. And so, the, like I said, it went away about 10 years out of Western, but it left this ripple that it picked up within the American church. Specifically in the 80s is what was called the church growth movement kind of picked on. Because the idea was you can have all these people come to your church and you go, hey, we want to plug you in, take a test, and we're going to figure out you're good at administration, 
So we're gonna plug you into administration. You're good at teaching. So here's, here's the kindergartners. You're good. So it just made a way for people to be able to get plugged in and serving in certain capacities, which on one level is a good, right, a good thing, but it just completely turns what is meant to be this dynamic work of the spirit in the life of the church into an assembly line, right? And so one of the primary... Um, I won't say critics of it because that's a pretty strong word, but one of the primary people that would write against this view is actually Western Seminary's current professor of theology. Many of you know him and love him, Dr. Gary Bashirs. So he would say that, that what we spiritual gifts and this whole framework actually leads to a perspective within the church where rather than desiring all the stuff the spirit does, we kind of just stick to our one, two, or three things and then kind of commit ourselves there. And that's just not what Paul is getting at here. Paul is giving us these examples of the stuff the Spirit does. How are we doing? Deep breath. You didn't know we were going to talk about Portland seminaries and, and you know, old, what are, the, what are those old computers, those things called that you do the paper computer thing? Take your AC, Scantron. <laughs> Becca Bomarito for the win. So just notice what Paul is doing then is what he's talking about is pneumaticos, spirit-powered stuff within the church, which then in, in verse four, if you'll look with me, he starts to now describe and define what he's talking about when he talks about the spirit stuff. So in verse four, now there are different gifts. So there is the gift language, right? But notice that he also says it's not just gifts, it's also ministries. And it's not just ministries, it's also activities, and then all of these he summarizes in verse 7 as manifestations. When the Spirit does the stuff the Spirit does in the life of the church, it's an unveiling, a revelation, a manifestation of the power of God. Sam Storms uh, in his commentary says that the manifestations are when God goes public with his people. He shows up in unique and dynamic ways. So he gives these three categories. He summarizes them as manifestations. So these three categories, gifts... I believe, here's, this is my, um, this isn't just Ryan, but this is my, my, my take that I've kind of gotten from others, is in, in gifts, what Paul is doing is he's, he's talking about uniquely given and or empowered gifts by the Spirit, abilities. So he talks about and gives examples of these in Romans chapter 12. There are things like teaching, exhorting, acts of mercy or justice. So you think about, we were talking about foster care and that kind of, what, it, what, what is when that's operating within that is there's a lot of people that might be doing that, but usually at the center of it, there's gonna be someone who has a unique gifting and empowered ability by Jesus to do the works of mercy and care that's needed for that. Teaching is one. So there's, these are unique abilities or gifts, differing ways that show up through the spirit. The next is ministries or services. It's actually the, the Greek word for a deacon. It's unique roles within the church. So I believe if he's talking about gifts in Romans 12, ministries he talks about in Ephesians chapter four, where these are actual roles and like titles and offices within the church. It is teacher, it is pastor, it is deacon, right? These are the sorts of, and, but, but notice they're just as much different things, but the same spirit is working in all of them. And then as we get to verse six, there are different activities, different actions, different ways that the spirit shows up within the church, different things that the spirit does through his people in the church. And I believe if uh, verse four, gifts is what Paul talks about in Romans, ministries is what he talks about Ephesians, the different activities are the things he's gonna talk about in 1 Corinthians 12. So Paul has this, this is like, 
kind of nerdy for some of those that you're interested. I promise this is going to come together and we'll keep going in a minute. For those of you that are really processing through and care about this, it seems that what Paul understands is the spirit works in all of these different ways that Paul wants to acknowledge those differences, but there's also a lot of overlap. So prophet is a ministry and it's also a gift and it shows up here in an act of the spirit, Right? And there's other ones that you see that. But things like tongues only show up within activities. So Paul sees some kind of Venn diagram that he's like trying to process this through with us. So here we go. All right. We're doing okay? Yeah, good. Awesome. Happy Mother's Day again. This is what you thought you were going to get today is is spirit-empowered life of the church. So what Paul does then is as he kind of gives these little groupings of the ways the spirit works in verses Uh, eight all the way down to 10, he then gives an overview, examples of the kinds of activities that the church in Corinth has seen and can expect in the life of the church. So this is, we're we're dipping our toes into right now what we're gonna be diving into um, over the next few weeks. So this is gonna be a quick speed run through this and just know that like, you're like, wait, what about that? Like next week, coming weeks, you know, keep coming back, you'll hear more. So let's just quickly work through these and just see what's the kind of stuff that, that Paul envisions is happening within the life of the church. What are these activities? First, he says in verse eight, he says, to one is given a message of wisdom. What is a message of wisdom? This is a spirit activity through which a person is given a unique answer to a particular problem um, most often within the life of the church or the life of individual believers, where it's like, man, we just don't know what to do about this. And we're at a stuck point. And then someone either in the conversation or even outside of it, just come, the spirit just works and they have a, a spirit of wisdom. They bring an answer to a question that they didn't have. The great example of this is the Jerusalem council. You've got all these Gentiles that are now saying, we want to follow the Jewish Messiah. So all the Jewish pastors get together and they're like, what are we gonna do about them? And they have this whole deliberation there in Jerusalem. And both Peter and James, it says, have a word of wisdom where they give direct answers for how are these Gentile Christians going to follow the Jewish Messiah, right? It's a word of wisdom. It's a, it's a light bulb moment. It is a puzzle piece that gets turned and clicked together, but one that for the person who brings it does get a sense that, there's, there's something external. This isn't just me whiteboarding it out and coming up with the answer. There's something that the Spirit just clicks it together and, and, and it's for the sake of, we're gonna talk about this more in a minute, the common good of what the church is up to. So this could be a season of life and you're trying to figure out, am I in the, am I in the time to, to, you know, for us to start having kids, for us to make this move or for us to stay or for me to move over to this job or, or th- that these are the kinds of things that words of wisdom seems to bring. Or when we're in the church working through, how do we navigate through these questions or this difficulty or this ministry opportunity? It's those conversations that the spirit brings a word of wisdom to be able to bring things together in a new way and keep moving the church forward and individuals in their mission. So this is one thing on the word of wisdom, though, is um, the spirit who gives words of wisdom is the same spirit who gave us scripture. And so if you are working through, you're like, man, I really need wisdom about something that the Bible already talks to, you don't need to go get a word of wisdom or pray for that. If you're like, man, I'm, we've been married for, you know, but we're coming up over a decade now and things are just kind of getting, yeah, I think, you know, a divorce is probably the thing that would be best for us. And so I'm looking for a word of wisdom. Like, you don't need a word of wisdom. The wisdom's right here, Right? And so there's a lot of things that we don't need a word of wisdom for, but there are some, and Paul says the Spirit brings those. The next is words of 
knowledge. A message of knowledge is as it's translated here. So whereas this is filling in the answers, the message of knowledge is when there's a unique, either like explicit um, knowledge about a situation or a person or like an implicit sense about a person or a situation that the Spirit brings. This can be um, explicit like in the case of Jesus when he meets the woman at the well and he gives a detailed account of how many husbands she's had and that the fact that she's with this guy right now that's not her husband. And she's like, how do, you, how, do you know, like, how do you know this? There's no way that you know me that you know this. This is also shows up in, I was just reading one story this week of a church in their pre-service time was praying does anybody have a sense for the time, you know, what God wants to do today? And someone was like, yeah, I just kind of have this, like, you know, it's, it's a sense. So, you know, and goes on to detail this, um, the, the hair color, the clothing of this woman, and then to talk about a unique um, sickness that God wants to heal her of today. And so they're like, okay, like she's not here. And then sure enough, as they go throughout the gathering that day, she walks in wearing the same clothing. And then they ask her, do you by any chance, I forget the ailment, but do you have, do you have, do you happen to have this? yeah. And that we, we, we believe that Jesus wants to heal you today. And so they laid hands, prayed on her, and she was healed. So, it's a, so notice, she would have just come into church, and, and you know, she would have to go find somebody and say, hey, do I, can you guys pray for me for healing for this? But the Spirit just led to go, oh, this is that, right? So a couple of examples of this. That's explicit. It can also be a sense of things. So uh, Pastor Lorenzo, a couple of weeks ago, woke up in, I think it was the middle of the night, um, and just had this sense to pray for this pastor buddy that he hadn't talked to in like over a year, if I remember right, when you told me this story. And just was like, there's something going on with him. I don't have any other details other than I need to pray for him in his, right now. So he starts praying for him. And then a couple of days later, he hits him up and says, hey man, you know, just the other night, I got a sense that um, you were needing prayer. Is everything okay? And he goes on to say, I mean, his family is going through this incredibly difficult season. Stuff is falling apart left, right, and center. And just having Lorenzo reach out and pray was this encouragement that God sees God knows, and that God cares about him enough that he would wake up Lorenzo in the middle of the night to pray for him, right? And so it also can be a, a sense. Like I said, for me, I had one a couple weeks ago where I had this dream of someone in the church. This is the problem of being a pastor is you start having, this sounds weird, but they're not <laughs> weird, weird, but you start having dreams about different like people and things in the church. And so one of them was, there's a person in our church who was like having, like breaking up and leaving our church, but it was like a bad breakup. For some reason, the image of like, you know, when people throw their clothes out the window in the movies, like bitter anger, frustration, all this stuff. And so I just woke up and I was like, man, I couldn't, and I couldn't shake it. It was just like, a, you know, there's a sense like that, that wasn't just I had a bad burrito, right? That was something. And so on, on Sunday morning, um, I just, and it was on Saturday night, on Sunday morning, I just went up to that person after the gathering and I said, hey, um, can I just share something? I had this, here's, here's the dream. I don't know what it means, um, but like, are you thinking about leaving collective? Is there something, like, are you bitter or frustrated or angry with the church? Super just, and then, well, yeah. And they started talking through a bunch of the frustration and, and, and kind of hurt that they've been experiencing from just a, a couple different individuals in the community right now. And they're like, I don't know what to do in the midst of, I feel like people have dropped the ball. I feel like, um, even in some cases, some of the pastors that we just didn't see some of this stuff. And so we were able to start having conversations to work through healing for that person, right? So there you go. That's a word of knowledge, and sometimes it's a sense, and sometimes it can be about um, just prayer. It can be about asking a question. Sometimes it can be about sin in someone's life. Um, I had one time where we were praying for somebody, and, and the guy I was praying with, as soon as we laid hands on, he goes, hey, we're, we're here praying for this, but also um, would, would you be happy to, you're working through a, a pretty significant addiction to pornography right now. And just, yeah, like not just like, you know, just poor, but just like a pretty significant, he's like, yeah, I, I don't know what to, he's like, well, can we pray for that too? 
So sometimes it's, just, it's, you know, it just comes in the midst of sin. But the whole point is what he did was really good, not accusing, going, hey, you have a porn addiction. Like, just ask, it's, this is with words of knowledge. Is this, this is the key thing is you always ask, don't, don't um, assume or don't accuse. <laughs> just say, hey, I, this is what I get a sense. I may be totally wrong here. This is what I sense the Spirit is, is inviting, right? So there's, there's word of knowledge. Let's keep going. Next is faith, which is the most interesting one. Because you're like, isn't that the thing that like, we need to be saved? And that's like this. So what's going on here is there's, there's unique categories of faith that we see within the scripture. So yes, the one that we just talked about, saving faith. For those who've put their faith into Je- in Jesus, allegiance and trust God, that that is the working of salvation. There's also sustaining faith through the life of all believers, that in order to live the life of faith, it's not just the, the faith that we had at the beginning, but it's a faith that grows. But here, what Paul's talking about is a unique spiritual faith which is like a unique activity or ability whereby someone in the midst of what seems like an impossible situation is filled with a, it is, I I may die, but I trust God in the midst of this, I'm moving forward. So this is Paul going towards Rome, knowing he's going to get arrested and ultimately beheaded. And he's got, he's dead set on it anyway, right? So this is a faith that, there's a faith that is within all of us and there are unique times and unique moments and even just unique people who God will fill them with a certainty of trusting God in the midst of what seems like impossible circumstances. So this may be for planting a church. This may be for a mission. This, may, this is not like I'm going to ask you know, her out. Like, and so God grant me spiritual faith right now. Right? This is unique work for the building and the movement of the church or different circumstances that we're going through. So there's faith. Uh, next is gifts of healing. Uh, notice the word gift shows up here, but also it's gifts of healings. So just why I acknowledge this is, well, first I'll talk about what we mean by healing. So healing is just simply the spirit comes and takes what has been broken by the effects of sin and sickness and disease in the world and puts them back together again to wholeness. So this may be physical with diseases. This may be emotional. This may be relational healing, but, but most focused is what's going on within the body and within, within the mind. Is healing that happens up. But I know why I noticed that gifts of healing, he doesn't say the gift of healing. So everybody that you've ever seen on TV who comes out there with you know, a, a you know, million dollar smile and a jet plane waiting in the parking lot, who has the gift of healing that people come up to them on, that's just not conducive with what Paul's talking about here. For him, gifts of healing mean these, these activities through which the Spirit keeps showing up, that it's not like an ongoing ability that's just locked in with people, but it's just a way that the Spirit works up. So if you are sick, you've got cancer, you've got something going on, you don't need to go find somebody, you just need to come to the church and be with the people and say, can you guys pray for healing for me that the spirit would bring about that activity into my situation and in my body? So you don't need to go to find anybody. And so there's gifts of healing. You just see when you just read the Bible, a lot of the weird stuff about all of this just kind of falls away, right? But not all of it. Uh, next is the performing of miracles. Now this is the, this is the catch-all for everything that's like not in, in here. So you see this in the life of Jesus. This can be everything to resurrection, whether that's um, in the case of um, the multiple times, whether that's Lazarus or the little girl or Eutychus falling out of a roof because Paul preached too long. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. The guy, they're preaching in a living room and there's a guy sitting in the windowsill and he falls asleep because Paul goes too long and he falls, dies. Paul runs outside, prays for, he gets back up. And, just, and then Paul keeps preaching is apparently what it looks like. He's just like, don't fall asleep next time. So these acts, so you think about um, 
Fish and loaves, you think about these kinds of multiplication of that stuff. There are these stories where it's not necessarily healing, but it's just the Spirit shows up and does something that, that, is impo- that by all matters of our little what we can do and how we can factor things in within the world is impossible. And the Spirit shows up and does that. These are the performing of miracles. And all of these are, once again, the same Spirit at work within all of them. It's the kind of work that Jesus did in his life. Performing of miracles. Did I have anything else on the performing of miracles? No. Next is distinguishing between spirits. So this is um, just an activity where the spirit shows up, where you're moving through a situation or a conversation or with a person, and, and you're just, you distinguish that there is, there is a dark, because as much as there is a Holy Spirit at work within the world, there is also an enemy and demons. Like that is just as much a reality within the world, though we cannot see it. But we can at times see the impact of that in the same way we're talking about it in the good way with the Holy Spirit, in the bad way with others. And so distinguishing within spirits is where the spirit empowers someone to be able to look at a situation, a person, or something going on to be able to go, that's not, that's not from God. That's actually from the enemy. And so to see in a conversation, I've seen this happen so many times with counseling, where someone is walking through a process or a story or what they've been carrying and an identity statement that they hold for themselves. And for someone to go, like just to cut right through it and to see with this like spirit given insight, that's not from God. That's from the enemy. And so this is distinguishing with it between spirits because sometimes the enemy, uh, as the scripture says, you know, comes looking like an angel clothed in light. He comes with identity statements that seem right. He comes with works that seem good. And so what we need is an ability to, you know, cut through all of that and see what's actually going on. So that would be the distinguishing between spirits. Okay, two more that kind of run together is different kinds of tongues or languages. We're going to be doing with this one in a couple weeks. And with it is the interpretation of tongues. And so this is simply when you are in the midst of praying and praising God and by the Spirit, the words that you begin to and continue uttering are no longer words that are intelligible to your brain. So I said it it does clear up a lot of the, the weirdness, but not all of it. And so what ends up happening is, is for Paul, we're going to talk about this in the, over the next few weeks, is there is a movement where of deep prayer that comes purely from the spirit and the heart. And because of that, it's, just, it's, not, it's not intelligible through your words, but it's just as much prayer and praise. Interpretation would be when the person either who just prayed that or someone who's there with them then goes, what has just been prayed in a language we don't understand is, and then gives an interpretation of what was being prayer, prayed or praised. And then so that it can be not just for that person's heart and their prayer with the spirit, but for the sake of the community. So like I said, this is, we're, we're like jet skiing right now over all of this. We're going to spend a whole week on that. Oh, thank you for your message of knowledge. It's so funny because prophecy is what literally Paul says is the one that everyone should especially desire. It's like the most important one for Paul. Uh, so prophecy, we're going to be dealing with all next week. There's a little bit of overlap with all of these revelatory gifts, but prophecy in particular is when a divine message is given through a human person. When in the midst of prayer or work, you just simply go, man, I just been, we're praying for you right now, and I think God wants, I sense that God wants to say this to you. Like, I just have a sense that this is what God wants you to pay attention to in this season. It feels as though God is calling us as a community to this in this moment. So like I said, a whole week on this next week. But again, the whole point with next week, I'll talk about this more, but with the prophetic, with all of this, is all of this is submitted under scripture. 
And because it's the, if it's the same spirit who's working through all these things, he's not going to contradict himself through here. So any, going back to the, word, the message of wisdom, if somebody, I come and pray with someone, I'm like, I think, I think you need to, I, I'm trying to think of a good example of a sin. Like, I think you need to murder someone. Like, it's like, no, I, I don't think I do need to do that. That's obviously a very explicit example of something. But the whole point is the spirit is not gonna contradict himself. What he said in scripture and what he says in the prophetic is going to be, consistent with that, though it may be more pointed in a particular application or an emotional resonance that is felt by the person hearing the message. So it's one thing to hear, God loves you. For God so loved the world, you know, he gave. It's another thing prophetically for someone to speak over you God's love and commitment and assurance using language that just, there's a resonance that the spirit brings about in that moment. So there we go. There's the big list. So Paul says, one and the same spirit is active in all of these things. All of these, it's, these aren't separate spirits, separate things that are happening. It's the same spirit who's at work in all of them, distributing them as he wills. He says earlier in verse six, it's the same God who works all of them in each person. He says in verse seven, oh, yeah, that was six, verse, sorry. Verse seven, he says that the spirit gives these to each person. So just notice you have this whole list, not exhaustive, but examples of the stuff the Spirit does. And then what Paul says is the whole Spirit is working all of these in the, into the church, and he distributes, he gives, he works them into each as he desires. So what this just simply means is, so we, the whole point of all of this is not you read this list and you go, okay, I think I have message of knowledge and distinguishing between spirits. The whole point is you go, this is what the Spirit does in the life of the church, and so I'm opening myself, Holy Spirit, for you to work, for you to give, for you to distribute as you deem necessary. So Holy Spirit, we're praying for that in our community. We're praying for that within ourselves. The key language is humble hunger. I'm going to come back to this in a moment. Humble hunger. Humble because I don't manipulate the Spirit into doing any of this stuff. It's the Spirit who does it but hunger because it's the spirit who does this stuff and I want all that God has for our church. So what is the, what's the purpose of all of this? What does this lead to? Verse 12, he says, for just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. See, he uses the example of the physical body, your body and mine, that he's gonna just go through all of chapter 12 with. You have fingers, you have elbows, you have ears and a nose and eyes, and they all are different things that do different things, and yet the body is one. The eye by itself is not the body, and the body without an eye is not a fully functioning body. So the body, they need, there's this, this oneness that is shared through the different parts. And so what Paul says is, in the midst of all these gifts being at work within differing people and abilities and these activities and manifestations, is there's a deep need for one another as each part of the body needs itself in the midst of being one. So that's, just, that's great. So there's no superpower gift that means that you can be like a spiritual Zorro, Batman, and just go out and just like, you know, healing people and casting out demons on the street by yourself. It is a community experienced gift. And it also means that in the midst of that, there is no work of the spirit that is unnecessary or a side, you know, side attraction. All are necessary for the life of the body. But what I love is that last little line there, so also is Christ. He doesn't just use the metaphor of a body to talk about us. He says that we are the current 
present physical embodiment of Jesus on earth. Verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed all of these activities and abilities and gifts in the church because you are the body of Christ. So when you read through the gospels, what kind of stuff is Jesus doing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healing, faith, performing of miracles, distinguishing between spirits, prophecy. He's, he's doing it all. We'll talk more about like how does tongues factor into that in a couple weeks. But just all the stuff that Jesus does in the gospels is the stuff that Paul here says the spirit does in the church. Why? Because you and I, the church, is the present embodiment of Jesus on earth. In Acts chapter one, look at this. This is, is one of my favorite little lines. The book of Acts. So Luke wrote Acts, the whole story, one of the stories of the life of Jesus. And then he writes the book of Acts, which is about the story and the life of the early church. So he addresses it to the sponsor of the book is Theophilus. So he says, I wrote the first narrative, the gospel of Luke, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts opens with Jesus ascending into heaven. But the whole point is the book of Acts, the life of the church, is what Jesus continues to do and teach. And so just as much as we would read the Gospels and go, this is what Jesus does, for us to be the body of Christ on earth means this is the kind of stuff that Jesus continues to do through his church, through his body. And so if we are called to be like Jesus, to become like him and to do what he did, part of doing what he did means this kind of stuff. We do the kind of stuff that Jesus did by the power of the Spirit, by this kind of stuff that the Spirit does now in and through us. So, so what's the application here? If you'll flip over just a couple of chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Paul writes, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, a couple of things. First, next week, we're going to talk about especially that you may prophesy. Next is the spiritual gifts word right there. It's, it's pneumaticos again. This is the only, the second place that just pneumaticos shows it by itself that they do gifts as. So just, so what does he say? Pursue love and desire the stuff the spirit does. Even more than that, I can't figure out why. I have an email that they haven't responded to yet, but I wrote our translation, the CSB. They're the one translation some of you have it right now that it doesn't just say desire spiritual gifts. What does it say? Does anyone have one differently? No, you guys are all in the CSB now. Good. Okay, well, that's good, I guess. If some of you have the ESV or the NIV, it's not just desire the stuff of the Spirit. It's earnestly or zealously desire it. So what, what is, what's, what's Paul getting at here? If this is the stuff the Spirit does, if you want to receive and enact and experience that stuff in the life of the church, pursue the way of love, and zealously desire the stuff the Spirit does. This will be our application for today as we close. The first is if you want to experience the work of the Spirit in the life of the church, then you have to love the things that the Spirit does. And the Spirit loves the church. And so to pursue the way of love is what Paul writes just a chapter early in 1 Corinthians 13. It's always read at weddings but it's, it's, about, it's the context of the local church in the midst of spiritual gifts. Love is patient. 
It's kind. It doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't seek what it wants. It's not irritable and it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't find joy in what's wrong, but it rejoices in what's right. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So if you want to experience the kind of stuff that the Spirit wants to do, building up the church, as he says in verse 7, for the common good, for the church being what the church was made to be, the body of Christ on earth, then it begins in the way that you relate to the other people in the room right now and the people that are in this community. Pursue love. Second is earnestly, zealously desire spiritual gifts. Now, just to take that language and play around with it for a little bit, there are probably three different ways that I think some of us approach or can approach this this command right here, which again is a really good note for those of you that I'm trying to win over from believing that this doesn't continue anymore. Right alongside pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. It's an imperative, not a recommendation. And he gives no like, you know, until they go away at the closing of the canon in a couple of hundred years or so, (laughs) earnestly desire the stuff the Spirit does. But so here's the thing. Some of us have a couple different ways of, of falling short of this command. The first is for those of us who do not earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, we zealously avoid them. And for some of them, like you said, that, like I said at the beginning, this may be because of the manipulation and the abuse that you saw done through this stuff. And you're so terrified that it's going to happen again. And so just notice, spiritual gifts goes hand in hand with the way of love. That is what we're coming after. And so for those that, that, that you feel like, man, I don't zealously pursue, I zealously avoid, one of the invitations today is for you to step into spirit. Would you do a healing work within me? Would you do a healing work within my heart from the abuse and manipulation that I've suffered to actually desire the thing that you want to do in my life? Just because it's been misused and abused doesn't mean that there's not a proper use. The next one is for um, some of us, we, we zealously avoid. For some of us, we, are apath- we don't zealously desire. We apathetically desire. It's like, yeah, sure, if the Spirit wants to do that kind of stuff, like I, I'm open to it. Not, not receptive, not desiring, not pursuing. It's like, if, you, if, if the Spirit wants to. But that's not Paul's language, is it? You see, I think the open to it, if the Spirit wants to, is largely just motivated out of, for most of us, is, is an apathy with our spirituality in general that goes all the way back to what we've been talking about over the past few weeks. That desire, I wanna live in God's presence every single day, like the birds in the temple from last week. The Psalm 103, I want the renewal for God to be my strength. That's the thing I want. I want my experience of church to be impossible apart from the spirit pneumaticosing it, making it possible. And so that's, that's the experience here. But for most of us, I think we're far more comfortable with a God that works on our terms and is actually like normal enough that like I can just kind of keep doing life the way that I want to do life. I don't want words of knowledge waking me up in the middle of the night so that I have to get on my knees and start praying for people. I don't want people having prophetic words about sin that I might be hiding. I want us all just to kind of just see what's going on and being okay with it. I don't want a church that's actually the body of Jesus. I just want ones that kind of does like a side hug with him. Like, but this is what it's all about. That the church has been forgiven by Jesus, saved by Jesus, redeemed by Jesus, unified by Jesus for the sake of being the body of Jesus on earth. So just as a mental exercise, you, you just think about right now, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What if there was a gospel according to you? 
What if Jesus showed up in 2023 on the west side of Los Angeles and he started walking around and doing the kind of stuff that he did, but in a context of Los Angeles? What would that look like? What would that look like? What Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, what Luke was writing in Acts, is the church is meant to be the expression of that very reality. That when you look at the church, you're like, that's what Jesus is like. When I read the Gospels in the book of Acts, and then I look at the church, it's a continuation of all that God's ever been up to and doing. Huh. It's, it's, it's almost like they actually believe and live into the very things that Jesus said he came to do. So with this being said, I'm going to move into response time now. Because this is it. If, I, if I'm wanting to step, if I want to pursue the way of love, I don't want to apathetically avoid or zealously run from but what I want to do is pursue the way of love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. What does it mean to zealously desire spiritual gifts? It's the posture of prayer. It is, it is a, a posture of humble hunger that I keep coming to God. I keep, in the words of uh, James, knocking and asking and seeking and wanting. Jesus, I want your church to be an expression of your body in my city. Jesus, I want my life to, be my, to play my little part in the body of Jesus for the sake of your kingdom. I want... I want more of that, Jesus. Not because, I, 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 for myself, not for the sake of I can pat myself on the back of look at the cool church we are, but because that's what your people need, that's what I need. It's a prayer of desperation. Jesus, this is what the city needs, is the body of Jesus, the life of Jesus displayed through the stuff the Spirit does. And so it begins with a simple posture of stepping out, coming out of our avoidance and stepping into a prayerful pursuit and, and receptivity.